Good morning. Oh, yes, that's all right. Great. Good morning. My name is Chris Lane, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here. Thank you, Rick, and thank you the team that put together that little promo production thing. That's very... I mean, it's just wonderful, the gifts that are beginning to emerge in this church. And talking of films, I think we might be getting the uh, 2020 Vision sort of film that we all saw a couple of weeks ago. I think we might be getting it back this coming week. I am so excited about that. But we'll let you know uh, when we get that in. Let me just pray, and then I'm going to pitch straight into this morning's message. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for the way that you always confirm your word. You confirm it with signs, with, with promptings, with, with, with healings, with, with supernatural things. But Lord, I thank you also that this morning, even as I've been preparing to come up here and speak, I, I've noticed your hand and your encouragement to me and to us that, that, that what I'm about to share is close to your heart, close to the heart of the matter. So I pray that you give us ears to hear and that nothing would distract us and that we would hear what you want us to hear. And in doing so, we might be built up and strengthened, encouraged and glor- and that you be glorified. And everyone said, Amen. Okay, well, this week we are continuing our series called Essential Church. This is the third in the series. And uh, the uh, first one was really on the, the great command. And... Uh, That was uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Then last week, Dennis did an absolutely outstanding job of of really unpacking what, you know, what the early church did and by, by, you know, by by inference, what what we should be about. And and I just thought that was just, he did a a great job. He's not here this morning, so I can't uh, embarrass him or say, speak too highly of him. He's speaking on our behalf at another church, but... He did a really great job. If you missed that, check it out on the podcast. This week, really, we're talking about our great purpose. And uh, it, this is a passage which, certainly amongst Christians, has become known as the, the Great Commission. And, and it really is something that uh, I am excited about teaching and preaching on. Because, to be honest with you, I, I really think, in some ways... Not only has the church not done a good job of communicating this, but I actually think that there's been some misinformation sown by the enemy in order to not just freak people out when we start talking about evangelism or mission, but freak the church out as well. But the, the, the sort of central verse, just so that we get that, is, is uh, verse 19, and it's this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And in fact, I think I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to do this now. If you have a Bible, I don't have it on the screen there. Just turn with me, please, to Matthew 28. I'm going to dissect this passage, but I want to read the whole passage so you get the flow of it and the kind of temper of it and, and, and just get the, the, you know, an overview of it. So I've read it once already, but I want to read it again. Matthew 28, beginning at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey Everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. When we start thinking about 
mission and in particular evangelism, all sorts of negative things get kind of dialed up, even in myself. And if I'm nothing if I'm not an evangelist. You know, I have led by the grace of God hundreds and hundreds of people to Christ. I never, never get tired of it. But even in my own mind, there is a kind of a little bit of a push that I have to get through. Partly because of my own hang-ups and background, but partly because the way the, the world perceives the church going out trying to make disciples. And I've got a clip here, and it's actually from a film called Yes Man. It's not actually ribbing the church. It's actually a self-help seminar that... Jim Carrey finds himself in. Some of you may have even seen the movie. But the, the, the temper of the thing, the sort of feelings of the thing are, in my mind, the elephant that's in the room when we come to talking about evangelism. This is what we fear if we're on the receiving end, we're going to be put through. And this is what we fear if we are trying to share our faith, how people will perceive us. So, this is not the way it should be. I'm not holding this up as a training manual. This is the way it most definitely should not be. Does nod enthusiastically, will you? You got it, right? This is not what we're going to do. Thanks, Matt. But, you know, when I saw that, it made me smile, it made me laugh, and it made me shudder because I, I, I just know that that's our fear. That's society's fear. If Christians really sort of start getting serious about this thing, that's what we like. God forbid. God forbid. And I know, it's, it's, I know there is that kind of element within the church because I've been on the receiving end of it. I'm not going to tell bad stories about the church. But I've been on the receiving end of that. Sometimes when I've visited other churches... I remember a church I went to, I'm not going to say who it was, the opening question was, have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? And I went, when do they do that? (laughs) Scary. But I want to look at this passage and I want to walk through it because very often it's taken out of context and it's misinterpreted. So we'll walk through this and see if we can get some sense out of it. So the first little section, we've, we've read the whole, but the first little section I want to look at is this, verses 16 and 17. Thank you, Matt. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Note, eleven disciples, there were twelve. This is before they've appointed another disciple. Judas, the betrayer, has hung himself. You know the story, even if you're not a follower of Jesus at the moment. Well, then you'll know the story, I'm sure. Eleven disciples. And what does Jesus, you know, what is his instruction to them? In fact, he says this, he gives this instruction to Mary in the Garden of Gethsemane on the very first Easter morning. You know, it's still gray light. The dew is thick on the ground. The birds are just beginning to twitter and wake up. And Mary and her friends go down to... To, to the tomb where Jesus was laid, thinking they were going to just anoint his body and finish off some, some precious burial rites just to show respect. And they find that Jesus is alive. Jesus is risen. And, and, and through the tears and through the joy and through the, the, just the shock of it all, they just about gather that, that Jesus says, you know, go back, tell my brothers that I'm alive and tell them to meet me in Galilee. And I just love this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Basically what Jesus said to them was, I'll meet you at home. 
I'll meet you at home. He could have met with them in Jerusalem, the place where his death and his resurrection and all the rest was. But here at this, this, last, this last moment, he says, guys, let's go home. Man, there is something extraordinarily comforting about that. I find that, that, that that's a very emotive choice of language for me. But he says, let's go home. I'll meet you at home. So they go home to meet with him. And it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, many of you will know the story of the disciple Thomas, who even when he, was, he heard about it, he, he was like many of, of us would be, and, and maybe still are. They said, he, he said, look, I, I can't get my head around what you're telling me. Jesus is alive. Look, they nailed him to a cross. A centurion shoved a spear in his side, and that was after 12 hours of, of terrible torture. You're telling me he's alive? You know, get a life. You know, have you been eating magic mushrooms or something? He doubted. And then then Jesus, of course, visited him and said to him, Thomas, look at my hands. It's me. Look at my side. Come on, put your hand in my side, Thomas. Touch that wound. And Thomas said, no, it's fine, honestly. No, touch this. Thomas doubted. But you know, the extraordinary thing that I've fed back to you before is that if you go to India on a mission, and as you know, we have a number of missions operating out there which we fund, sponsor, and support. When you go out there, you begin to realize that dear old Thomas, whereas all the other disciples kind of went north, south, and west, Thomas went east. He founded that great church of India and died a martyr just outside what we, the, day, the place we call Chennai now. He, he went his own way, but he, he brought Christianity to, to that great continent of Asia and died in the process. He found faith, he found energy, and he found the, the, the sheer perseverance to do it alone. Man, respect, say I, respect. So some doubted Thomas was among them. But actually, N.T. Wright in his commentary on this passage says, you know, we're very quick to pick up the doubted thing. Actually, it's a little firmer than the Greek wants to say. The Greek actually would also want to include hesitate. Now, I'm at a stage in my walk with Jesus where, to be honest with you, I have lots of questions, but I don't have so many fundamental doubts anymore. I had those when I first began, and that's the way of things. But there are moments when I hesitate. You know what I mean? There are moments when I hesitate. We'll say perhaps a little, if I've got time, a little bit more about that towards the end. But are you hesitating? Are you holding back? Are you carrying doubt as an excuse? Oh, well, you know, I'm still working things out. So anyway, they met with Jesus, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Let's go on. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now let's just pause on this one for a moment. Some of you, if you know your Bibles, will know that in Matthew 4, Jesus actually has an encounter with Satan himself. And in that place, 
Satan comes with three temptations. There isn't time to go through them all now, but the last one is this. Satan basically says to him, he takes him to a high place and he shows him all the splendor, the power, the glory of the kingdoms of the earth. Not of heaven, but of the earth. And Satan says to Jesus, all this I will give you if you will but fall down and worship me. Not our Father in heaven, but worship me. Now, two interesting things about that. The first is this, that, that Jesus did not dispute that claim. He didn't say, hey, wait a minute, Chuck. I'm the son of God. I'm God himself you're talking to here. Don't think you can pull that one on over me. And the second thing, which of course has to be said, is that Jesus replied by saying, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. There is one and one alone, God himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is worthy of our worship. No other, no, there shall be no other. But I mention that, Matthew 4, because at that point, Satan can lay claim to all that is on the earth, the power, the glory, the kingdom thereof. But in this passage, post Jesus' death, post Jesus' resurrection, prior to his ascension, he can say, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see, with Satan's rebellion, that thing that we call the fall, and when the world went after him, all the power and kingdom of men were actually delegated to, Matt, to, to Satan. But what Jesus does, he comes and he ransoms. He pays the ransom. As you would a kidnap victim. He pays the ransom for you and me. He pays that ransom and we are redeemed. You know, you, go, you leave your coat at a, a London theatre and you get a little ticket. And when you come out, you redeem your coat. You get it back. So what happens here is that Jesus, through his death and his resurrection, has ransomed and redeemed us. He has also, and there isn't time to unpack this further, justified us. Justification is a legal term. There was a, the reason the Lord allowed it to happen, the reason the, 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 that Satan had that claim and right over all kingdoms of the earth was that there actually was a legal issue. Men and women had taken away their fealty, their, their loyalty, their, their faith in God, and they had put it in the things and, and powers and kingdoms of this earth, which Satan was holding out to them as a gift. They had said to God, thank you, but no thank you. This guy is really more, more to our liking. He promises us the earth now. I want it all, and I want it now. And with that transfer of loyalty, apparently done by free will, there was a legal problem. So we are justified. We are redeemed. We are ransomed. And the ransom, the price of the ransom, which is unimaginable, the price to set us free was that God himself would lay down his life that we should have life. Man, is that a ransom or what? And Jesus, as many of you, but I'm sure not all of you know, Jesus is God. Note the present tense, is God. And he 
died on that cross for you and me. He stepped in and said, the punishment that Chris Lane deserves, though his sins be as many, the punishment that that Chris Lane deserves, I will instead take that he might go free. Extraordinary. As a result of that, the slate is wiped clean. The the legal issues are settled. You know, a a man in Jesus who is God, but also man, God-man, Emmanuel, God with us, you know, Christmas and all that kind of thing, baby in a stable. Suddenly, suddenly, There is that potential, that possibility of of salvation for us all. And God raises, God the Father raises Jesus from the dead. And as this risen Lord, God bestows upon him all authority and power in heaven and on earth. Now one little question for those of you who are struggling with with various things. And I, I have found... Not just among some Christians, but among some people who are not yet Christians. They attribute, they believe, they, they, they believe in, the, in Satan more, more strongly than they believe in God. They will say to you things like, well, Satan had a real go at me this last week. Everything's gone wrong in my life this week. I think the devil's having a go at me. Or, or unbelievers will say, there's a curse against me. There's, you know, there's, there's all this happening and that happening. I can't believe this is really happening to me. It's, you know, there's you know, the devil's having a go at me. And there's all sorts of wives around that. And I just want to pose this question. If Jesus is the one in whom all authority has been given in heaven and on earth, how much authority does Satan have now? Thank you. How much authority does Satan have now? Sorry? Thank you. Man. That's something the the, the church needs to preach. That's something that we need to know about. Next time that temptation comes to you again. Next time you're beginning to think that somebody's on your back. Next time you start looking at coincidences and thinking, good grief, there's something going on here. Next time you're tempted to believe that the enemy is responsible for this, that, and the other, you know, truthfully, you need to get on your face before God and say, Jesus, I don't know what's going on at the moment, and I know I need help, but I know that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you. Pray it out loud as an act of faith. Thank you. I tell you, you will do damage to the kingdom of darkness because one of his great weapons is the lies he sows in the hearts and minds of men and women about the authority and the power that he has. He's a big bully, he blusters a lot, and and he rules through fear and ignorance. I am telling you this morning that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the risen one, has all authority and power in heaven and on earth, which means that, he, that Satan has zero. Thank you. Thank you. Let's move on. Therefore, now we come to this, this verse that is often misquoted. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
Therefore, go and make disciples. Now, there isn't a commentator or Bible scholar that doesn't agree that this is an imperative. That means it's a command. It's not an option. We are in the disciple-making business. We're not in the decision-making business, which is what we saw in that clip. You know, some evangelists, you just think that they're looking for notches on their gun. Oh, yeah, we had 167 come forward tonight. Glory, hallelujah, but we're off to Sunderland now. Look after them, won't you? You know, hey. I personally think that, that in every, every follower of Jesus' life, there comes a point, a critical moment, a, a moment of decision. A lot of the time, it's something that's up front. It's just a moment that, you know, if I was to ask for a show of hands, you could say, yeah, on April the 23rd in 1994, you know, I, I, you know, I made a decision for Jesus. A lot of people can say that. A lot of people can't say that because it really is a journey. Uh, you know, they, they, they kind of cross the line and they kind of set themselves on this journey and they kind of explore and they express their doubts. And that's a good thing. Talk about it. Don't pretend. They, they ask questions and they deliberate and they go away and then they ask some more questions and then they read a little bit and then it all goes quiet for a little while because of life happens and, and then it all sort of, you know, begins to happen again and then all of a sudden something's changed. It's kind of they cross a line like there's lines on this, this stage here. They cross a line and, and they may not be entirely sure when it happened but once they were in darkness, now they're in light. Once they had no faith, now they have faith. I don't really care... What the mechanics are, quite frankly, I don't need you to do the ABC of conversion to make me feel good so that I can set the staff meeting. I got seven last Sunday. How many did you get? I just, I'm not interested in that. Because Jesus says it's not about decisions, it's about making disciples. And, you know, what Dennis did for us last week, we did an, an excellent job of really encompassing all those things that will help build us up and make disciples. It was a, a spectacular display of, of understanding of what makes disciples. It, again, I say to you, if you didn't hear it, listen to it. Uh, and it's, it's partly why we are so committed to the whole business of church planting as, as, as a church, as a local church, because we know it's the best way of making disciples. I get invitations. I mean, Dennis is out speaking this morning. We, all of us on staff here and elsewhere in this community, get invitations to go and talk about what we're doing here. But the truth of the matter is, I, I will only now accept invitations when, I, when there's some chance that we might have some ongoing relationship and that we might be able to help build something. See, God is in the building business. Not the hoarding business with a quick picture of some dream home on the front, but there's, it's, there's nothing behind it. Something that you know, tarts up a, a, rather, you know, a brownfield site. Covered in old cars and dead weeds and cans and goodness knows what. Something that makes something look nice. That's not true Christianity. That's not making disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's why we do church and that's why we export church. Somebody shout amen. Who, where's my, amen. Thank you. I'm losing my place here. Hang on a minute. Okay. 
Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. However you come to Christ, whatever your story is, whether it was a one-day event where you actually knew you crossed the line or whether it was a, a, a day when you, you, you didn't realize you crossed the line, but somehow you look back and you think, now I believe. Where I, I didn't be, you know, however the story is for you, that is fine. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise. But the, the, the true test comes when we find ourselves being drawn into relationship, when we begin to sense that God is saying to us, welcome home. When we can begin to say, I don't know how it is, I'm not even sure entirely how it works, but I, I can say this. I have a living, loving relationship with God. I know it sounds daft. I know you'll think it's silly, but I have a living Loving relationship with God. How do you know you're a disciple? You know you're a disciple not by the amount of work that's still to go on in your life. And hands up, I've got bucket loads of stuff that still needs sorting. But there is that, that, that kind of transformation taking place. I've got a long way to go. Ask Fliss, she'll tell you. But I've come a long way. You see, God is in the business of building the business of transformation. You know, somebody, in fact, Richard and I were chatting, you know, one, Richard on our, is on our staff, does Alpha, and he, he asked me a very provocative question a couple of weeks ago, and he said, he said, you know, why do we do talks? What is the purpose of the talks? It is not about information. Some churches you go, and they just want to give you a download of information. It is not that. It is not about inspiration. Some churches you go to, you get so fizzed up that you can run almost on a week for it, and then you, can come, you come back and you get fizzed up again. I mean, I love it. It's great you know, to visit. But actually what the church of Jesus Christ is about, of which I hope and pray we're a part, is about transformation. That's what a true disciple is. Not somebody who's got bucket loads of head knowledge because they've been quote-unquote well-taught. Or, or not, people are rushing around doing the works of Jesus as if, as if their lives depended upon it because they've been fizzed and inspired. The purpose of preaching, and I, I really believe in this. I, I wasn't, you know, bear in mind I wasn't a Christian when I came to, you know, into this whole thing and I was skeptical about the whole thing. But actually the, what we're, we're working for is transformation. Layer by layer by layer by layer by layer. And there's a setback, but then there's another layer. And, and God builds us up into a likeness that begins to look like Jesus. Esme, you can come again. And then it says here, verse 20, And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Head knowledge? No. How did Jesus train? How did Jesus teach? Well, in Matthew's gospel, and I'm not going to... This is for you, some homework for you to do. There are five great teaching passages in Matthew's gospel. One of them, the Sermon on the Mount, most of you will have heard of. There are actually five great teaching discourses. The Son of God, Jesus himself teaching us. A little bit of homework, go and find out where they are. Read that stuff. But actually, it's not just about the information thing. Information is important. Information is crucial. But the early Christians did something different. And it was because Jesus trained them to do this. 
If you, re- if you read Luke 9 and you read Luke 10, you see what Jesus' model is. He sits down, he gives them a little bit of information, and he says, now you go and do it. Luke 9, he does it with the 12 apostles. They get sent out. They get sent out. I've, I've mentioned this many times, and I will mention it until the day I die. I die. One morning, Jesus says to them, okay, you 12, my disciples. This includes Thomas the Doubter. Those of you, those of us who are hesitating and not committing and not getting involved because we have doubts. The 12 that were sent out included Thomas the Doubter and Judas Iscariot, the betrayer. Flipping heck, that's risky. But this is the way Jesus trained. He taught them and then he said, okay, go and do it. And they said, what, who, me now? And off they got sent. And if that wasn't enough in Luke 10, and you can read this as well, he then picked a random 72 of hangers-on and sent them out. See, this is the way Jesus, he, this is the way he taught He taught them about the kingdom of God, his magnificent obsession, as we call it in this church, the kingdom of God, undoing the works of the enemy in all its ramifications and implications. He sent them out to heal the sick, to be good news, to expect the supernatural intervention in God when we're in situations that go beyond ourselves. Which we can't fix. He taught them that way. We were talking about this with, our past, with, with the pastor's prayer fellowship we have on Wednesday. And one of us coined the phrase that, that Jesus brought the bookends together. In the West, we like to gain knowledge. In fact, I've got a little quote here from someone. Actually, it's in my shirt, darling. Can you, my, my jacket, it's in the inside pocket. Can you just pull it out for me? But we, we, we love to get the head knowledge. We always say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really up for this. I, I, re- I really like this thing. But, but the truth is, I just have, don't know quite enough yet. I need to, I need to do, do another course or something. A guy called Alan Crider, and uh, Trevor Withers drew, drew this to my attention. He said, he said, the early Christians lived their way into a new way of thinking rather than thought their way into a new way of living. I'll read that again. The early Christians lived their way into a new way of thinking rather than thought their way into a new way of living. And guess what the Western church, the Western world wants to do? It wants to think its way into a new way of living. Now, I'm not saying I'm against education, training, university, Bible college, theological college. I've been through theological college. It did me the world of good. But the emphasis that Jesus has is on good teaching, five teaching discourses in Matthew alone, but bringing them together. And before you've even had a chance to start arguing, you're out there doing it. Then when you come back, you have real questions to ask. Questions born of applying theology in experience rather than clever head knowledge. Oh, I dreamt, this, I dreamt up this question. This will trick the teacher out. You know, that's what the Pharisees were spending their do- days doing. We, we looked at that two or three weeks ago. They were spending their days trying to dream up trick questions to catch the teacher, i.e. Jesus, out. While the disciples were sent out into the villages to heal the sick, to feed the hungry, to clothe the poor, to bring in the kingdom of God, guys. 
We're nearly there. Our great purpose is to make Christ known. And you've heard me say this again, before, before again. Well, one way or the other. You know, we, we are... We, we will always be involved in what we call compassion ministries. And I'm excited by the way this is flourishing. I can't wait to, to get Richard Lups and Darnell and others up here to tell you a bit about our fee project and how that's developing and growing. We've got a little surprise for you in a week or two's time. I love the fact that a bunch of our guys under Roger, Roger's uh, leadership went up to the House of the Parliament two or three weeks ago to, to lobby MPs and, and to support a, a presentation on vulture funds. I'd never even heard of vulture funds before. If you think of, if, if, if you think of loan shark on the local housing estate and then extrapolate that into an international organization that buys up the bad debts of, of, of countries like the Philippines and Honduras and then persecutes them in order to get paid for it. You, you've got it. It's just the same. It's the council, house, council housing estate loan shark extrapolated to international proportions. It's iniquitous. And our guys lobbied our MPs and met with them and others at a presentation in the Houses of Parliament two or three weeks ago. I love it that we're doing that. But having said all of that, and we're all in agreement on the leadership here on this, at the end of the day, if we can't feed the hungry, well, maybe Oxfam will. If we can't, clothe the, if we can't house the homeless, well, maybe Shelter will. You know, if we can't lobby you know, MPs about vulture funds, well, well maybe, maybe others will. But if we don't make Christ known, hello, no one will. Thank you. A bit more. <laughs> Boy, I'm milking it this morning. I think I've been encouraged by that bloke Trevor on the... Uh, if I take my shoes off, get really worried. You know, we're in trouble then. See, that's the work of the church, to make Christ known, to tell of his love and his kindness, to speak of his great ransom, to talk of his, his, his resurrection and, and the possibilities and the, that, that that holds for us, to speak of the hope of heaven, the glory that, that we're going to see and know. If we don't speak of him, if we don't make disciples of Christ, none will. It's our unique purpose. And all the rest is part of it, but it's our unique privilege to make Christ known. And then finally, this, this little verse here. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, this begins with Jesus saying, I'll meet you at home. Mission. All right, I'll use the dreaded E word, evangelism. It begins with relationship with Jesus and ends with relationship with Jesus. It's all about him, it's all for him, and it's done with him. Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
You know, I, I, I say this to myself, and I have begun to say it to others from time to time. If you're feeling a little bit dry, if you're feeling like you're treading water, if you feel like you're in a desert place as far as Christianity is concerned, if you're beginning to even think, well, I tried that, and for two or three years it was really great, but flipping heck, I turn up, I pay my tithes, you know, I occasionally wipe the dishes because I'm on the rotor, but, oh, is that all there is? You know? If you find yourself beginning to kind of go down that route, and I've been there, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Well, actually, I will. Who's ever felt that kind of a thing? There you go. This is real. This is real discipleship. These are real issues. At that point, I would say to you, do something dangerous. Do something where you just pitch in. You know, go on a mission to South Africa and build a house or something like that with, with our teams. Or, 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 or dare to cross you to, to see your neighbor and, and invite them into your home. First I did that this weekend. Very interesting. When you get a bit stale, do something a bit crazy. You know, break a new area of, 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 of ministry. Take the initiative. Don't wait to be invited. Do something that gets your, your blood racing a little bit. You know, when it comes to hesitation, and I say we might revisit this thing, we're all prone to hesitation and procrastination, and lots of other Asians, I'm sure. But, but the truth of the matter is this. As my friend Steve Nicholson said, you know, if we're going to do it at all, let's do it all. I like that. If we're going to do it at all, let's do it all. There's a sobering passage at the end of the Bible where Jesus actually rebukes a church because it was lukewarm. It played it safe. It had one foot in the camp and one foot out of the camp. Didn't want to be seen as too extreme. Didn't want to be seen as a bunch of idiots. Didn't want to take too many risks. Just wanted to keep your center of gravity so that you could go whichever way the wind blew. It's called hesitation, folks. So if you're in that place where you're beginning to feel a bit lackluster, throw yourself into something. Ask a neighbor to come to church. Because what happens then is suddenly you go, oh, 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 oh. the adrenaline begins to rush. You know, you begin to feel a bit nervous and a bit unsure. And by gum, it doesn't have to do your prayer life wonders. Oh God, oh God, oh God. Suddenly, suddenly, you need a relationship with a living God who's actually going to bail you out. I tell you, it's like, it's like a, a jolt to the heart. You know, oof, stand back, oof, gets you going again. Do something crazy. Do something wonderful. Do something faithful. And in that, you will know that the promise maker keeps his promises you will know the presence of God the favor of God if it doesn't go too well you'll know the comfort of God if it goes well you'll you'll just know the, the thrill and joy of God but this place of hesitation is, is a place of death it's no man's land it's no life it's Playing the, playing the odds, it's, it's a place of doubt and death. So there we have it. Our great purpose 
is to make disciples. Sure, we can, we, you know, we can qualify it and we can, we can talk about how we do that. And I'm glad we do talk about how we do that. It's on the agenda. The teaching of Jesus at heart is a teaching of love. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're struggling with that statement because you don't actually love yourself very much, well, you're in the right place because this is a church that has a track record of helping people encounter God and know the love of God for themselves. So, yeah, it begins with relationship. It finishes with relationship. And it's absolutely foundational to essential church. Amen? Let's have the worship. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad you did that. I'll be able to say to Dennis, I got a clap too. <laughs> let's have the worship team back up and let's just stand and pray together. Father, I just want to say thank you to you because uh, there's a place for us. You, you, you have decided that you will do this thing through the church. There is a place and a part for us to play. Thank you, Jesus. And, and Lord, we stand here this morning at various stages of our journey and our walk with you. But we say we're grateful to you, Father, for this relationship we have you through Jesus, our Redeemer. We're grateful, Father, that we get to do this with you rather than without you. And we're grateful, Father, for this great purpose to make Christ known. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.